Welcome back, listeners. Trade deadline has come and passed, and man, was it a fun one. This week, we're going to talk about the trade deadline across the league, what the Braves did, and why they did it. Ultimately, we want to break down why the trades were made and what we can look forward to. But we also want to talk about some of the odd trades that happened across the league that just were kind of head-scratching. And so let's dig a deep dive down into this trade deadline, what we can look into, and what about that extension with Austin Riley? Wow, craziness has happened this past week. Can't wait to dig into it. So with that, let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. Wow, what a crazy week it has been. This trade deadline was insane. Of course, we saw the big, splashy trades like the one to Juan Soto to the San Diego Padres. Not going to spend a lot of time talking about that one because, of course, the media has covered it like crazy. I kind of want to do a deep dive on some of the ones across the league that I thought were odd and then look at the Braves' main trades and kind of talk about why those were made because personally I believe they were the smart and right moves to make and they did make the team better but also there were some other head scratchers across the league that didn't really make a lot of sense so I want to break that down too as well but first let's just say how awesome is that extension for Austin Riley it's a team friendly deal for 10 years I mean Holy cow, do these guys just love playing for the Braves or what? Having Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna, and Matt Olsen locked down for that long on really good deals is insane, and I love it. Great signing. In fact, since that team-friendly deal is so team-friendly, it might leave the door open to extend Dansby Swanson and all of that. Maybe Max Freed. Hopefully Max Freed, number one, Dansby Swanson, number two. But still, it does leave that door open now that we know what Austin Riley will be making. The front office can look at their financials and decide what they want to do. There's not uncertainty with Austin Riley anymore, which will really help the front office decide if they can, in fact, sign or re-sign Dansby Swanson and extend Max Freed. It's going to be interesting to see. But let's talk about the trade deadline. Before we jump into the moves that the Braves make, let's look at some of the moves across the league. Just a few that really stick out to me is truly head scratchers. We've seen the big ones already, like I said, but let's talk about the head scratchers a little bit. The biggest head scratchers to me were moves that did not get made. What in the world were the Rockies thinking? They're the worst run franchise in Major League Baseball. Not a single move was made. The only move that was done is they extended their 36-year-old closer, who, of course, I wanted on the Braves, but I would not extend him. I would have loved having him on the Braves roster as a rental. He's getting older. He is a, would have been a bullpen death piece, not the number one guy that you're targeting as the Rockies. It didn't make any sense. They're in a rebuild mode, or they should be, and they refuse to believe they're in a rebuild mode and did not sell any pieces off the deadline. So they're not getting any better. If anything, every trade piece that they had lost value because time went by, and they're paying a ton of money to Charlie Blackman and Chris Bryant. Nothing happened at the trade deadline. What a head-scratcher. 
in a way, but in a way it's not shocking because we know that they're the worst run franchise in all of baseball, possibly all of major league sports, or I should say major sports. The other head scratchers were, as Cubs fans, I'm sure Cubs fans are excited that Ian Happ and Contreras are both still on the team. I get it. If I was a Braves fan, I would be like, yeah, maybe we should have traded them, but I'm not mad because I like these players. I get it. But from a pure business standpoint, why in the world is Contreras still on that team? That He, he is having the best year of his career. He is arguably the best catcher in the National League this year. You could have got a, a catcher, which is really rare to get a catcher that can hit like he can, and he's playing just fine defensively as well. A team like the Mets or another team that was hurting at catcher would have loved to have him. How did they not work that deal out? I mean, as a Braves guy, obviously you don't want to see the Mets pick Contreras up, but why did the Mets not pick up Contreras or Sean Murphy? I know that the Mets have plenty of catchers in their arsenal. Thomas Nito, James McCann. We know that, and their top prospect is a catcher who's the number one prospect in Major League Baseball. So sure, maybe Sean Murphy, they didn't want to pay the price because he's under team control for a few years. But Wilson Contreras, rental, top catcher in the league, you're going all in for the World Series? Just odd that that move didn't get made. Probably the biggest surprising move that happened, though, was the Josh Hader trade from the Brewers to the Padres. The Padres made a huge splash getting Soto, so they're they're getting a lot of love for that, but really the most surprising one to me was Josh Hader. Don't really know why the Brewers traded Josh Hader. Maybe they had a ton of faith in former Rookie of the Year Devin Williams. They also got Taylor Rogers in the deal, who was the Padres' closer back. I think it was a win-win for both teams, but it's just shocking because it's Josh Hader. I know Josh Hader's been struggling these past few outings, but it's just like out of nowhere. Typically, you don't see two competitive teams trading big-name players like that at the deadline. That just typically doesn't happen. It's kind of unprecedented. And then the Brewers, one of the key players they got back was Denilson Lamette, who, of course, was struggling this year. But he, with a 41 ERA plus, and last year had an 89 ERA plus. But prior to 2021, 2020 he was one of the best pitchers in the league, and then he had above average season in 2019 as well. So it was really interesting to see that they DFA him almost right afterwards. It was just a odd trade. It just was odd. I mean, I thought that the Brewers were trying to get you know some depth and stuff, but. And they did end up trading for Trevor Rosenthal, who hasn't pitched since 2020. It was just an odd trade. I'm not saying it was the wrong thing to do. It was just a head-scratcher. If the Brewers really are going for it this year, they have a shutdown closer. Why would you trade that for a downgrade just to build some depth a little bit? And not even a ton of depth. You know, it, it, it was just... Didn't make a ton of sense from the Brewers' side of things, especially considering the DFA'd Lamette right afterwards. I don't know. That was an odd trade. One trade that a lot of people were saying that they think is odd, that I actually thought was genius, was the Orioles trading Jorge Lopez to the Twins. The Orioles, yeah, they're three and a half games out at the time, or maybe it's three games at the time of the trade from a playoff spot. But let's get real here. 
the Orioles were not going to win a World Series this year. And sure, fans have hope because they went on that long winning streak and, and they're, they're over 500 and they're not in last place finally. They've got some really exciting players on the roster. But if you want to accelerate your rebuild, if you have a guy that is a closer that you got for next to nothing and you're flipping him for good, decent talent in return, take that deal if you know you're not going to win the World Series, especially with their playoff spot being the third wild card spot, which is basically expanded playoffs from what we're used to. It made a ton of sense to do so. And it was the right move. 100% it was the right move for the Orioles to do that because they just sped up the rebuild that much more. Uh, closer is really the only type of player that you want to keep if it is if you are actually truly competitive. If you're not truly competitive, there's really no reason to have a shutdown closer if you can get value for them in return. We've seen that historically for years to come or years past, sorry. We've seen that with the Yankees when they traded Araldis Chapman to the Cubs. It was a genius move. We've seen it many a times. The Pirates have done it. Like, there's no reason to keep a closer if you're not going to win, if you don't have a legitimate chance of making a deep playoff run. And if you got a team that's desperate for a closer that's willing to pay or overpay for that closer, you take that deal. Historically, that's the right move, and the Orioles made the right move. Another shocking move is not necessarily that Eric Hosmer was traded, but the fact that he was traded to the Red Sox. Like At first, you're thinking, what in the world, Red Sox? Why would you take on Eric Hosmer? He's very overhyped, overrated first baseman, making a ton of money. But then you see that the Padres are willing to pay for his entire contract just to send him away which is odd because the reason they wanted to get rid of Hosmer was to get down below the luxury tax but they're still sending the Red Sox 44 million dollars so I understand why the Padres got rid of Hosmer because they have Bell obviously his feelings are going to be hurt a little bit because they tried to trade him bad relationship because he rejected the trade to the Nationals and and they just wanted to say sayonara that whole trade to the Red Sox, though, is odd on both ends. At first, you're like, why do the Red Sox do that? And then you find out, wait a second, the Padres paid $44 million. Why did the Padres do that? Just the whole thing, you're like, what? It's just, what? Okay, sure, he wasn't needed on the Padres anymore, but you're going to pay all that money just so that feelings aren't hurt in the clubhouse? I, that one was just odd to me. I, I wish the best of luck to Eric Cosmer. Maybe he needed a change of scenery to pick it back up to play like he was with the Royals. But, man, it's just that whole trade was just odd. Now, of course, I don't blame him for not wanting to go to the Nationals. And he did not have the Red Sox as a team in his 10-5 rights where he could block the trade. So it makes sense, I guess, that the Padres moved into the Red Sox if they're just trying to get him off the books minus the league min I mean like they really the only money they're saving is the league minimum for three years three years that are left and so sure they're saving some money but that's not enough really to make a big dent towards their luxury tax payings but I don't know hey I guess they just wanted at that point they knew Eric Cosmer knew he, there was going to be some hard feelings or whatever but 44 million dollars is a lot to pay because of hard feelings to be fair, Eric Cosmer is a massive upgrade at first base compared to what the Red Sox 
have been doing. I mean, he has 1.3 wins above replacement this year, whereas Bobby Dalback has negative 0.8, and Franchi Cordero has negative 0.4. So, I mean, yeah, it's a massive upgrade for the Boston Red Sox. So it is a huge upgrade for cheap. So now that it's all said and done, it does make sense for the Red Sox to do so. Even though they're not going to be winning the East this year, they'll have him for a few years, and he's an upgrade from what they traded to get him. So, I mean, it's, uh, or what they, what they would have been deploying had he not been on the team. But there's other ways to do it. But since it was so cheap, now it makes sense to the Red Sox. The Padres just, it's, it's kind of just odd. Just odd. Another odd trade is even though I don't hate the trade because I think that it was smart to try to buy low on Joey Gallo because other than this year, Joey Gallo has been a top-tier player. I won't say top-tier, but he's been a well-above-average player for years. And then he obviously didn't work out for the Yankees. But I don't really understand the Dodgers going to get him, especially when they gave up a guy that's now the 10th-ranked prospect in the Yankees uh, system and was a second-round draft pick in 2020 for Joey Gallo. I don't know. Joey Gallo, if he continues to play like he is this year, is literally just going to be outfield depth for the Dodgers. It's not like he's going to be playing a platoon role with Cody Bellinger or anything like that. It's strictly depth in this situation, not like a platoon role like Robbie Grossman is going to play for the Braves. It just... It just didn't make a ton of sense for the Dodgers. It made 100% sense for the Yankees. I won't say that it was a bad trade. It was just, I guess they didn't have Beater, Clayton Beater in their plans or something. And just like, hey, we let's just take a flyer on Joey Gallo. It just didn't, didn't really seem like a type of deal that would happen. Again, you don't typically see two competitors trade players like Joey Gallo at the deadline. It's not that common. It was just... It wasn't like a buyer-seller type deal. It was just just odd. Also, is not a huge fan of the Giants' deadline, although I trust their front office. It was smart to trade Darren Ruff, and actually I think that was a solid deal for both sides. Uh, Ruff's going to be a good addition to the Mets as a platoon bat. But why did they trade him if they're not going to trade Rodon or... Jock Peterson. Sure, there's a possibility they could make the playoffs, and maybe they're kind of stuck on the high from last year that they did so well in the regular season, but things are falling apart. They don't look like a solid competitor for the World Series this year. You've got big names as pending free agents that you could get a solid return on. Jock Peterson had the best season of his career so far that you could get some solid return for a much better return you'd get for him than the Cubs got for him when the Braves traded for him last year doesn't really make a lot of sense why they'd keep him I guess they just want to like one last run to see if they can make the playoffs I I'm not a fan of being a fringe playoff team if you can get a return on rental players Especially two guys that aren't like lifetime giants or anything. It's not like these two guys in Rodon and and Peterson are guys that are longtime fan favorite giants that fans are going to be upset and you're going to lose ticket sales for trading them. Like these were single year guys that you brought in with 
hey, if we do bad, we can flip them. And hey, if we do well, they're going to help us in the playoff run. And he didn't do either. So it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. But with that, let's go ahead and take a break. And then we'll jump into the moves that the Braves made. And we'll explain why. And why I'm a fan of these moves. Before we move on, I want to talk to you about a product that I am excited about. Fresh Prints of South Walton offers t-shirt printing services to businesses, sports teams, churches, charities, and many other clients locally and nationwide. I know for me personally, I'm not just pitching this because someone told me to. I use this service, and this company does a great job. They made shirts for myself and my family, and I still wear them to this day. They're located in South Walton County of Florida, but they offer free delivery service to local clients so they can focus on their business and not be out running errands, but they also will ship nationwide. Fresh Prints is devoted to offering high-quality, affordable screen printing services from small orders to large contract jobs. Keep your team looking fresh with Fresh Prints at www.freshprintsofsouthwalton.com. All right, welcome back from break. Let's talk about the moves that the Braves made. It's important to note that, yes, they did not make any massive, splashy moves. In fact, possibly the only one that you could consider splashy is the final one they made with two minutes left in the trade deadline, or you could consider the Austin Riley extension, but that's not technically a trade, right? But let's start with the obvious small one, which is A. Ray Adrianza that the Braves traded Trey Harris for, which Trey Harris to some people was kind of a fan favorite, if you will, in the minor league system. So it was sad to see him go, but this trade did make sense, and this is why. Trey Harris was never going to make the Major League roster. He just wasn't. Okay, it's important to note that every farm system is not equal. So if I was to say, you know, the Braves' number 10 prospect would not be the Rays' number 10 prospect. And, and you know, for, for just for example, because the Braves had the worst farm system in baseball. And Trey Harris is ranked 29th in the league's worst farm system. It wasn't like he was some up-and-coming star. He was drafted 32nd round in 2018. Okay, so this wasn't like a top-level talent type guy. Although, you always wish the best for the players. He just wasn't. And Adrianza, you're like, oh, of course there's a bunch of fans as soon as it happened. They're like, oh, it's just the big splash. Oh, it's just the AA. Is just the type of movie he's going to make? Well, listen. The Robinson Cano experiment was over. They, they needed to fill a spot for Ozzy Albies and... Robinson Cano, although in the past was very good, was not producing. It's not produced in a while. And he's very defensively limited, whereas Adrianza is not. When he played for the Braves last year, he played in six different positions. So, sure, Robinson Cano and Adrianza could have had a similar bat. Adrianza has, is having his worst year so far in a small sample size with the bat, currently hitting 179. 255-202. That's only 94 plate appearances, though. But still, that's pretty bad. But Cano wasn't any better. And Cano could only play a very defensive, limited second base. He wasn't even good at second base. 
Adrianza did have a solid slash line in 209 plate appearances for the Braves last year with a 247, 327, 401 slash line, which is definitely respectable for a utility guy that's going to be playing all over the diamond. And from 2016 to 2021, before he played for the Braves, Adrianza also had a solid slash line of 252, 318, 381, and 1,169 plate appearances. So, of course, this isn't an all-star type guy that you know, fans were hoping for, and he really wasn't supposed to move the needle. Really, he was more insurance than anything else. They basically gave up nothing and upgraded their worst bench position. That's what this was. They were upgrading their worst bench position. When you're a competitive team, you have to make moves like that to have depth in bad case scenarios. We don't know for sure when Ozzy Albies is coming back. So that's why they made this move. It's not some type of platoon split or anything with Orlando Arcia. It's just not. Arcia is hitting right at league average against both lefties and righties for his career. Where Adrianza hits slightly above average, like 4% above average against left-handed pitchers and 2% above average against right-handed pitching. So it's not like there's these massive platoon split differences between the two. Alright, let's move on to the next trade that could be considered in the pecking order of trades is Robbie Grossman. A lot of people on social media, and I will say a lot of people, I'm not just going to say some people, like it was a lot of people were really frustrated with this trade, like is this the outfielder we're getting? And of course there's always the people that retort and say, well did you see what Alex Anthopoulos did last year? He went dumpster diving? Well first of all, none of the guys that Alex Anthopoulos has went after would be considered dumpster diving. All of them are well above average league players when they're played in their proper role. And what I mean by that is we look at Robbie Grossman's overall line and we see, oh, wow, look at that slash line. In 84 games, he's only hitting 205. He has an on-base percentage of 313 and a slugging percentage of 282 with a total OPS of 74. That is terrible. 74 OPS. That's 26% below league average. Yeah, that's terrible. It really is. But the thing is, is that Robbie Grossman is strictly a platoon player. And his platoon is against, his platoon splits that he's really good at is against left-handed pitching. Well, when you play full-time for a bad team like the Tigers, when you're on a bad team, you're going to be playing every day, and that includes playing against the platoon split that you're bad at, which is righties for Robbie Grossman. He really cannot hit righties, and he's playing every single day. So that's going to bring down his overall numbers by quite a bit. This is why they picked up Robbie Grossman. Okay, pretty self-explanatory, pretty straight up against left-handed pitching. He has a 134 OPS plus in 2021 which is 34% above league average. That was in a large enough sample size to matter at 206 plate appearances. In 96 plate appearances this year so far, he has a 182 OPS plus against left-handed pitching. That's 82% above league average. And why his numbers look so bad is because he's got an OPS plus of 29 versus right-handed pitching. Yeah, 29. So that's why his numbers are so bad. Yep. That's 71% below league average against right-handed pitching. So obviously, Robbie Grossman is not going to be hitting against right-handed pitching if Brian Snicker can help it. But 
versus left-handed pitching. If we've got a left-handed starter, put him in there, and he goes from the worst hitter in the lineup to one of the best hitters in the lineup pretty easily. He fits in perfectly as a platoon partner in left field for Eddie Rosario. Eddie Rosario hits righties better than he hits lefties. That's pretty evident as well. You know, obviously, Eddie Rosario is having a down year this year. He started off the year with bad eyes, got the surgery done, but he came back and still didn't adjust very well because he didn't ramp up like he should have or whatever, and his overall numbers are terrible. But if you look at his OPS plus against righties, you'll see why they wanted this platoon split. For his career, Eddie Rosario hits best against righties, and his OPS plus is 106 to 84 OPS versus lefties. Pretty big drop off there. If we look at more recent years, it's not much different. In 102 games versus righties last year, he had an OPS plus of 113, 13% above league average. But when he faced left-handed pitchers in 61 games, he had an OPS plus of 77. It should be noted, if you didn't know this already, there's a lot more right-handed pitching in the league than there is left-handed pitching, which is why when you look at these splits, you're going to see more games versus right-handed pitchers than left-handed pitchers, unless you're looking at a guy that is strictly a platoon player and has fit that role. But as you can see, it's pretty simple, really. Eddie Rosario against right-handed pitching, above average. Against left-handed pitching, well below average. Same With Grossman, it's the opposite. Against left-handed pitching, he is extremely above average, whereas against right-handed pitching is extremely below average. And so if you fit those two in a platoon role in left field, that's going to create no platoon weaknesses against pitching, and it's going to be really good offensively, well above average if you combine the two. It should also be noted that Robbie Grossman is not an above average defender in left field. He's not. He has never had a season where he has a positive defensive war. However, as we know how defensive war works, it is adjusted by position. If you look at just the position of left field, he does currently have one defensive run saved, which is nothing to be excited about, but it's not terrible. Whereas Eddie Rosario in limited action has one defensive run saved which has been a massive upgrade because he was in the negative category before he had eye surgery. So Eddie Rosario is a little bit better in left field as far as defense goes. In 2021, he had two defensive runs saved. In 2020, he had three. But the point is, is that he would not be a massive defensive. Grossman would not be a massive defensive downgrade to put his bat into that lineup against left-handed pitching. And we all know by now that Ozuna has pretty much given up trying to be decent in the field he just does it's almost like he doesn't even care to be good anymore. He has negative 5 defensive runs saved this year in left field. But one thing that would probably blow your mind is that in 2021, he actually had 4 defensive runs saved. So, one thing to note about defensive that was an anomaly though because in 2020 he had negative 2. So, in a in a much shorter season. So, you know, it it, it was it's an anomaly, but it was just kind of interesting. All right, the next trade which to me was a massive win for the Braves, is when the Braves traded Will Smith for Jake Odorizzi. The Braves traded from an area of depth in their bullpen to an area of need for the Astros, which was a left-handed reliever. And the Braves got a piece of the Astros' depth, which was a rotation arm. 
One thing to note is a weird contract swap almost with these guys is that Odorizzi has a bunch of escalators in his contract based on how many innings he pitched. Now, I don't want to sit here and go through all the escalators, but I'll give you an overall what it looks like. So it looks like Braves are going to pay the prorated amount of $3.3 million this year for Odorizzi, whereas they would have still owed Will Smith $5.6 million. So really the Braves gained $2.3 million, theoretically, based on how, we, how much we think Odorizzi is going to pitch by doing this swap. And it seems like they won talent-wise as well. I guess that's what happens when you have two really competitive teams with an excess of talent. I mean, Odorizzi was arguably the, the Astros' sixth best starter, and Lance McCullers hasn't even pitched yet. So he was quote-unquote expendable. But the Braves, to me, won this trade. I don't, I don't know if it's just because the Astros remember Will Smith being the guy that absolutely dominated them in the World Series. But Will Smith, in his time in Atlanta, and going by Fangraphs wins for replacement here, had negative 0.6 in 2020, a positive 0.4 in 2021, and a negative 0.5 in 2020. So... He had negative value in fan graphs, right, in his time in Atlanta. That's negative 0.7. What's odd, though, is that fan graphs and baseball reference pitchers are the one area that differs quite a bit, especially relievers, because on baseball reference, Will Smith had such a solid 2021 at 1.6 wins of a replacement that he actually had a positive impact for the Braves his entire time there at 1.2. So let's average it out here. If you were to average those two baseball reference and fan graphs, you're looking at 0.25 wins of a replacement in a total of three or two and a half seasons with the Braves. Odorizzi, who is a starter, in 2019 was an all-star, but we're not going to count that season where he had 4.3 wins above replacement. We'll just look at since 2020, since we did with Will Smith. For fan graphs, he had since then has had 2.3 wins above replacement. And then on baseball reference, he had 0.6 wins of a replacement in that time, which you can see the two have flip-flopped on the two reference sites. But if you average Odorizzi's wins of a replacement between the two sites, you're looking at 1.45. So 0.25 for Will Smith in that time frame to 1.45 during that time frame for Odorizzi, which is... Big difference to Odorizzi's side, however, he was a starter, so he did get more innings. But the one thing that sticks out to me is the expected ERA. Odorizzi, this year, has an expected ERA of 3.75, which is exactly what he has right now, is a 3.75. Whereas Will Smith has an expected ERA of 3.94, which is higher. And he has an expected fielding independent pitching of 4.83 not solid at all. I don't know why the Astros would want to take this on. I guess they really need a left-handed reliever. But let's talk about why the Braves traded for Odorizzi beyond shedding Will Smith's contract. I also should note that Odorizzi has a player option for next year of $6.25 million with a buyout of $3.3, meaning that if he exercises the options, the Braves would be responsible to pay him that, but he would be on the team, whereas with the buyout, the Braves can pay the three-point whatever if he opts out um, 
3.3 million if he opts out to to elect free agency. So it'll be interesting to see what they they do. I do think they might keep him though because he's been performing as a back end depth guy for sure. But the the reason they brought in Odorizzi is pretty simple. Ian Anderson, even not notwithstanding, he did have that solid outing against Arizona, against the worst offense in the league. But prior to that, his six starts before that, he was averaging an ERA over eight. He is having the worst season of his career, right? And so, and he also has three minor league options remaining. So one, that gives the Braves the option if they don't want to run a six-man rotation and they want Ian Anderson to be able to go down to the minors for a bit and work on some stuff and then come back up, they have that option. And just for what it's worth, I know we don't look at just DRA to evaluate a player. Almost every single peripheral that matters for Ian Anderson, whether that be expected weighted on base average, expected batting average against, expected ERA, all that stuff is not good. His average exit velocity against him, bottom 37%. Hard hit rate against him, bottom 34 Expected weighted on base average, bottom 31%. Expected ERA, bottom 31%. Expected batting average against, bottom 31%. Right strikeout rate, bottom 33%. Walk rate, bottom 14%. Ian Anderson is not pitching well. Another thing which Alex Anthopoulos and Brian Snicker has said is not true but could possibly be the case is Spencer Strider being a rookie has already surpassed the amount of innings he has ever pitched in a season. So we do not know what's going to happen. It's not going to be a straight up, okay, we have Odorizzi, so we're going to bring him in, move Strider to the bullpen, all right, and save some innings. No, that's not what's going to happen. But it's an option. Bringing in a guy like Odorizzi brings in an option. That's another arm that can fill innings if needed. We've heard people say, oh, well, we really just wanted the Braves to bring in an inning eater. Well, when you bring Odorizzi has only pitched 12 games this year. However, when you bring in another arm, that's bringing in an innings eater by default. So you have a whole other rotation arm that is going to be taking up innings if needed. Finally, this was recorded the day after Kyle Wright pitched against the Mets, and we saw what his peripherals were showing. Recently, he has been struggling. He has. His overall results before the Mets, if you look at just his ERA, was great. Um, He's pitching well. Much better than I expected him to pitch this year. However, he is waning this year. He is slowly getting worse and worse, especially with his peripherals. And we can see that in his last seven games, he has a 3.93 skill interactive ERA, which is a newer version of tracking ERA that quantifies a pitcher's performance based on trying to eliminate factors the pitchers can't control by himself. So that's purely how he's pitching. His Sierra, his expected Sierra in his last seven starts has been a 3.93, and his expected fielding independent pitching, which is to me not quite as advanced as Sierra, but shows him has an expected FIP of 4.5. It's not terrible, but it's not nearly the Kyle Wright that we were expecting. And if we look at Kyle Wright's Expected weighted on base average, it has shot down in a negative way in his past 100 plate appearances to where it is in the bottom 30% of the league. His peripherals are not looking good, guys. His average exit velocity this season has not been good. Bottom 40%, hard hit rate percentage, bottom 41. Expected weighted on base average, even after his 
at shooting down in his last 100 play appearances against his bottom 41%. Expected ERA is bottom 41%. Expected batting average against his bottom 39%. And his expected slugging percentage is in the bottom 41%. Which is not obviously not the results that we've been seeing. His ERA is currently at 3.22 before the Mets game. But his expected ERA is 4.08 according to StatCast. So... He's going to regress if he continues to pitch like he's going to. So it's good to bring in a guy like Odorizzi, whose expected ERA is actually lower than Kyle Wright's expected ERA. So bringing in Odorizzi creates a ton of options. If they need to limit Spencer Strider, they can. And you can do that in two ways. But you don't have to just do that by moving to the bullpen. Now the Braves can run in a legitimate six-man rotation instead of five-man, which will reserve and preserve innings for guys like Spencer Strider. It also gives him the option again to option down Ian Anderson if he needs to work on stuff. And it has it where Kyle Wright, who also has not pitched a full season all the way through yet in the majors, that he can rest his arm a little bit because they've got another man in the rotation. So it brings in a ton of options. It makes the team, especially the rotation, overall way better. And then finally, the biggest splash for the Braves in acquiring Rysel Iglesias. In continuing his trend of picking up expensive closers, which Alex Anthopoulos has done quite a bit recently, he did it with Melanson, then Will Smith, and then paid $17 million for Kenley Jansen this year. He did take on the entire remaining contract from the Angels, which is going to pay a lot because the original contract was a four-year $58 million deal before the start of this season. The Braves will be picking up the rest of that contract. The Braves gave up Tucker Davidson, who was not going to be in their plans. He was purely death at this point. We saw that he didn't have the stuff of Kyle Mueller. He was a guy that we all rooted for. He was a fun clubhouse type guy. He just wasn't going to be in the Braves' near future plans. Jesse Chavez, fan favorite. I get it. You didn't want to see him go, and he's arguably having the best season of his career. Chavez has a 1.1 wins above replacement with a 2.6 ERA so far this season. And last year for the Braves, he also had a fantastic season. At 2.01 FIP, an ERA plus of 207 in 33 innings. So, if, yeah, you, you would love to see that production. And you're thinking, well, if Jesse Chavez can bring that, what can Iglesias bring? Well, here's the thing, though, guys. Jesse Chavez has a career ERA plus of 96. That's 4% below league average. His two stints in Atlanta... He obviously likes Atlanta because he pitched as well there. That was not going to last. Everywhere else, like literally everywhere else in his entire 15-year career, he has not pitched that well. It was only a matter of time that he was going to regret. His actual ERA was 2.6, but his expected ERA was 4.31. His StatCast page shows that he was one of the luckiest pitchers in Major League Baseball. His average exit velocity bottom 32%. Hard hit percentage, bottom 6%. Expected weighted on base average, bottom 30%. Expected ERA, bottom 30%. Expected batting average against, bottom 18%. Expected slugging percentage, bottom 31%. Okay, this is... Jesse Chavez, as much as we love him, was probably the luckiest pitcher in Major League Baseball this year. It was only a matter of time until those results caught up to him. Check out his expected ERA dating back to 2015, 419, 431, 555, 
335 in 2018, so he did have a solid season there. It's because he barely walked anybody. 2019, 516. 2020, 708. 2021, which was solid, 306. And then in 2022, 431. So this is a guy that he he did step up his game in 2021. 2022 was a decent reliever, but he's no Rysel Iglesias. He's just not. He's also a free agent at the end of the year and could potentially retire at any time. He was essentially a rental, whereas Rysel Iglesias, like I said, the Braves are finishing out will finish out the rest of his four-year contract that he started this year. So he's going to be an elite member of the Braves' bullpen for three more years after this year. And for what it's worth, I said last year that the Braves should pursue him in free agency in one of my articles for, I believe it was either uh, Tomahawk Take or Sports Talk ATL. I can't remember. But anyways, I suggested Rysel Iglesias because his numbers look great. I saw his contract and thought, okay, maybe that's why the Braves didn't pursue him. And we did find out later that he was a guy that Alex Anthopoulos was interested in in, during the offseason. But ultimately, the Angels signed him. But now, we got our guy. If we look at Iglesias' expected stats this year, he has an expected ERA, according to Fangraphs, of 3.44, a FIP of 3.17, an expected FIP of 3.05, and... The skill interactive ERA, which is what I really like, which is purely how the pitcher is pitching, 2.43. That is absolutely elite, and I want to give Trent Dixon the credit there because he did the math and figured all that out and sent it to me. If you're not familiar how StatCast pages work or Baseball Savant, if you see a bunch of blue, that's bad. If you see a bunch of red, that's good. Iglesias' StatCast page, red all over the place. And remember... When you trade for a player, you're not trading for what they've necessarily done in the past because what they've done in the past is not going to do anything for you. You're trading for what they're going to do in the future. With Iglesias, he has a track record of being elite, and his peripherals are showing that if he continues to pitch like he is, he's going to continue to be elite, whereas Jesse Chavez shows that he's going to regress here soon. Check out these peripherals for Iglesias. Average exit velocity, top 44% of the league. Hard hit percentage, top 31% of the league. Expected weighted on batting, on base average against, top 34% of the league. Expected ERA, top 34% of the league. Expected batting average against, top 19% of the league. Strikeout rate, top 6% of the league. Walk rate, top 16% of the league. Swing and miss percentage, top 11% of the league. Chase rate, which means swing at pitches outside of the zone, top 7% of the league. The guy's stat cast page is insane. And then if you look at his expected ERA, he has four different seasons where he is at least in the top 10% of the league. Out of Since 2015, he has four seasons that he's at least in the top 10% of the league in expected ERA. If you look at his hard hit percentage, strikeout percentage, since 2015 when this was tracked, there is red all over the place. Expected weighted on base average, expected slugging percentage against top 10%, expected batting average against top 8% multiple times throughout his entire career. This is not an anomaly season. Since 2015, he has been one of the best relievers in the league 
easily top 10% reliever in the league since 2015. Chavez, he's been great for the Braves. It's just not the same. Tucker Davidson, he wasn't going to fit in. The Braves had the funds. They wanted to sure up the best bullpen in the league, especially on, on, on the high leverage situation since Kenley Jansen had been slipping up a little bit in Will Smith. They need to fill his spot, I guess you could say, but he was supposed to fill a high leverage role, which he was not doing well this year in at all. A.J. Minter is one of the most underrated relievers in the league, but here recently he struggled a little bit. This was a fantastic move. I loved every bit of it. All right, that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and leave five stars wherever you listen to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, whatever. You can find the show at Braves Dugout Pod on Twitter. Or you can find my personal Twitter at S People Sports. For business inquiries, you can email the show at bravesdugout at gmail.com. All the other socials, websites, all that stuff is in the show notes per usual. Hopefully by the time you're hearing this, the Braves beat the Mets some. Fingers crossed. Not looking so good so far, but, you know, there's still some time left in this season. So with that, as always, go Braves.